0: Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message.
1: We're going to study a large section of the Exodus, and this is the manna portion. It is extensive, it's detailed, and we got to take our time through it because It has so many ramifications, not only on a personal level and application, but it has ramifications in understanding how God dealt with Israel. The manna actually is a typology for the Messiah, so everything you learn about manna is a picture of the Messiah, and then it projects itself into the future as well. What do you mean? The remnant of Israel that gets caught in the tribulation, that's in the desert again, and hiding from the Antichrist for three and a half years, are somehow going to be miraculously fed and it presumes possible return of the manna for Israel again in the future. So we'll talk about that. I'm not going to spend time on it today, but we'll talk about that in the preceding sermons. But what we want to take away from today is a test that he's going to test with Israel. It's the test of handling the Lord's provision. Now, we've already learned that God is a provider, that God provides for Israel. He provided their exodus and their way of escape through the Red Sea. Now, what Israel's going to be tested is the test of how to handle the provision. That's drilling down a little further than God just giving you something. He wants us to handle this properly, whatever he gives us. Because here's what's going to happen in the real world. They're fouling up our economy so bad right now that it's going to mess up the value of your money, of what you own, what you you have built up. And then again, if they go to a digital currency, like I've mentioned before, prophetically, it's going to change a lot of things in the way you do business, the way your money is is dealt with, and uh, obviously it's going to affect your savings, your retirement, whatever like that. Well, at that point, you're going to have to know how the Lord provides, and you're going to have to have the right attitude for it and the right way of handling it, because uh, it's coming, and, and we're being forewarned that this is coming. And just like with Israel, they're going to be forewarned that this test is coming. And so that's where this is totally apropos for you and I of how we're going to handle the provision that God gives us in the days ahead on a personal level. So the first thing we see is before we even take God's provision, before he even provides something, what you're going to see with Israel is that their attitude needs to be corrected. So in order to receive something from God, your attitude has to be right and your head has to be screwed on correctly, theologically. If not, you will react the way Israel is going to react in the passage, okay? So let's take this passage, we'll exegete it, and then we'll explain it in further detail to apply it to our lives. In verse 1, it says this, And they journeyed from Elim... And all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. So just to give you an aerial picture of where they're at, um, they're going from wilderness to wilderness. So there's multiple wildernesses in Midian. And you can see where al is, so is, where uh, Mount Sinai is in, in Midian. And they're in that general area. Let me give you another uh, picture, uh, satellite. You can see where the Red Sea crossing is from Nueva Beach over to Midian. Well, in Midian, which is really Saudi Arabia, there are multiple deserts. There are multiple wildernesses, and, and so you go from one wilderness to the next, and that was, that's what God's doing with Israel. They're going from one Israel, uh, wilderness to the next. What is the lesson behind that? It is the same for you and I. God will take you from one wilderness experience to the next. And your whole life will be about wilderness experiences. And hopefully you gain victory over those wilderness experiences and you move on. But why does God do this for Israel and why does he do it for us? It is to stretch us. It is to grow us. It is to train us. It is to prepare us. So right now, are you shocked at where you're at? Because this is the new desert. This is the new trial. We just came from four years of, uh, you know, pretty good situation for Christians. Now you're moving into a desert, and this wilderness that is that is around us is a new test. So we're here, and a lot of people are shocked that they're here. A lot of people are surprised that they're here. But nonetheless, you're here, and the quicker you you grasp reality the quicker you'll be able to figure out how to cope biblically with it. Okay, so God is moving us from one wilderness to the next. Now, if you look, uh, go back to the text, it says this, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Now, notice it's the second month. Basically, from the time they left Egypt is one month. And I, I would probably guess it's, Uh, the Hebrew month, which is 30 days. So it's been 30 days since they left. Now, like I said before, they saw a problem coming, and they didn't respond well. Now, what's the problem that's coming? Well, they don't have enough food supply. They probably have enough to last them maybe 30 days, but that's about it. And they can see that, okay, once we run out of food, what's going to happen? We haven't been told by Moses... And Yahweh hasn't revealed how we're going to be taken care of food-wise. So nonetheless, it's a problem that they still could project and prepare for. And it's the same thing is true with us. Prophecy teaches you how to prepare for what's coming. Unfortunately, the churches don't teach it, and so people don't know what's coming. So if you know what's coming, you know how to take action. You know what, what decisions you need to make. Okay, so Israel refuses to acknowledge what's coming. You're going to run out of food. And we know that they, they weren't prepared for it because of their attitude about it. And so, like to them, we must be prepared for what's coming. Let's continue on. Verse 2, here's the reaction. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Well, there you go. There's the action. And so everyone's afflicted, obviously, because it's a food issue. But notice the attitude. They complained, which indicates they're making demands and indicates that they feel that they deserve something. And then they go they complain to Moses and Aaron. And it's classic. When people assume you want to call it an I-deserve-attitude or an entitlement mentality, they will always, without doubt, look to blame someone for something that they're going through. So this wilderness experience that you're going through, be careful because Satan will tempt you to start blaming the wrong people. Moses and Aaron are not to be blamed. Let me ask you this, and you can answer this yourself. When Moses and Aaron led them out of Egypt, did the average Israeli have a choice to leave or stay? It was free. They they could leave with Moses or they could stay. Other Egyptians actually left with Moses, and obviously some Egyptians even stayed. So it was open to all. You all can come or you can stay here. So the funny thing about this is the average Jew in this picture who complained against Moses and Aaron, should have been complaining to themselves. You chose to come along, blame yourself. But no, they don't want to take responsibility for themselves and their actions. They would rather blame somebody. And they always target uh, the spiritual leaders. It's the pastor. Or if you look in, 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 in people's lives, it's my spouse that I can't get my marriage figured out, or it's... It's not the kid, it's the teacher. Uh, it's not the kid, it's the coach. It's just it just goes on and on and on. And I hey, I get it. There are knuckleheads out there and they're gonna do stupid things. I get that. And that happens. But the, the type of attitude you're seeing here is a character flaw in Israel. They are always blaming someone else other than themselves. Because here, quite frankly, they have entitlement. They just simply have entitlement. They think they deserve something. That's what's starting to cause this problem. So anyway, we go on, and it says this. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Really? I mean, that's called catastrophizing. That, you know, the, all is lost. Everything that we have done is lost because God just brought, it out, brought us out here just to die. And so what's the difference? We should have just stayed in Egypt and died there rather than going through all of this mess for what? For just us to just die in the desert? Do you notice the negativity about what's happening? They have just seen the plagues. They've just seen the Red Sea, and now they're getting negative. The reason they're negative is because they're victims. That's the problem. They have a victim mentality. Why is God doing this to us? Why Why has he made my life so hard? I deserve better. I can't believe Jesus would do this to me and put me through this. You see? It start, they start to blame others. Now, when you look at this, you're, you're thinking, they're knuckleheads. They're flat-out knuckleheads. How could you say that? But the problem is, is the Apostle Paul said, when you look at Israel, it's a picture of you and I. It's a picture of us. It's a mirror of us. They're doing what we do. And it's really hard. It's a temptation to not go into victimhood. It's it's really tough, and especially now today. I read a story this week about uh, a couple... Uh, pretty well-to-do couple, upper middle class, worked hard. This couple had come from nothing, both sides were poor, but they worked themselves hard, and they went to college, worked through college, and then they had successful careers because of how hard they worked. Well, anyway, they had this one son of theirs, and he was now 25, and uh, he had dropped out of college. College wasn't his thing. Okay, no problem. But then he couldn't hold down a minimum wage job anywhere, Taco Bell, Jack in the Box, or whatever, McDonald's. He couldn't hold the job down. So here's this 25-year-old college dropout that can't keep a minimum wage job uh, down. And he spends most of his days playing video games and uh, eating his parents' food and then going out at night with his friends and having a good time. So the parents got irritated about this, And they said, hey, wait a second, man, this guy's 25. You can't just keep rolling like this. So it got so bad they had to go see a counselor. So they're sitting there with the counselor, and the counselor starts drilling in on, okay, what's the problem? And and the 25-year-old millennial says, there is no problem. Everything's going great. I just need my parents off my back. If they would just leave me alone, everything would be great. I could move on with my life if they would get off my back. And, and, and here's their parents, you know, hardworking, they made it in life, and here's this guy, this, their kid of theirs, complaining about them being on his back about working. And then this is what happened. If you let someone speak enough, out of the mouth, the heart speaks, and the kid goes, or, or so the counselor goes, so why don't you leave? Why don't you get out on your own? He goes, I don't understand. Why do I have to? I'm their son. And they owe it to me. Bingo. Thank you very much. Your parents owe that to you? Oh, that's entitlement. See, Israel is in this mode that they think that God owes them something, owes them food, owes owes them whatever because of this victim mentality. And unfortunately they're going to learn a hard truth. What God is doing with this test is he's pressing them to the ground. He's pressing them with starvation. Now, he's not going to let them starve, but he's pushing them to the point, to the brink, to where they will actually cry out to him because their attitude has been self-sufficient. Their attitude is, I can take care of this. I got this one. And, And therefore, he's going to push them to the brink. So, he, he's going to break them. And, and being broke is, is okay. It's a good thing. Sometimes the person you're dealing with, if they have an entitlement mentality, is to let God break them. Don't get in the way of any spankings that God is delivering to an entitled individual. Let them th- feel the reality of their decisions. Let them feel the, the reality of their behavior. Don't rescue them don't save them let them hit the wall because that's what god's doing to israel understand this there are two types of pain there is harmful pain which god doesn't will, won't do and then there's redemptive pain now he's going to give them pain and he's going to break them and the same thing will be due to us if we start having this entitlement mentality God owes me a good life. God owes me health. God owes me this. God owes me that. I went through so many bad things, and I went through this, and I went through that. I deserve a better life. Huh. I deserve to take off a year from work and travel the world and get my job back when I come back. Try that one out. I deserve a better marriage. I deserve better kids. I deserve better uh, whatever, siblings. I deserve to be treated with respect from my neighbors. Oh, really? You deserve. Huh. How's that working for you? How's that mentality working that you deserve this and that? What does the Bible say what we deserve? Oh, Brandon, you're not going there, are you? You're not going to make us all uncomfortable, are you? You're not going to really tell us the truth, are you, what you we really deserve as believers? Uh, yeah. When you get into that mode of saying, I deserve a better life, I deserve this, I deserve that, the Bible says you and I deserve the lake of fire. Oh. Oh! When I start thinking I deserve, when when that that thought, that biblical truth comes to my mind, I just say, all right, I need to shut up and just walk away. I just need to shut up because that's right. I don't deserve anything, all the goodness that God gives me. I don't deserve it. I deserve the lake of fire because I've rebelled against him, but yet he is still good to me. That's not what Israel has right now. The goodness of God has been poured out to them, and they're still in this I deserve mentality. Look what the apostle Paul said of why Israel was pressed so hard, but he, he, he referred to himself of being pressed hard. He says this, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, beyond, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. You see what's going to happen? Paul's saying, it happened to me personally. I was pushed to the max. I almost died And Israel is being pushed to the max. But it is a good thing. Look what he says happened. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust what? In ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Look at what he said. He says, the reason I was pressed is so that I wouldn't trust myself but trust God. That's what's happening with Israel. That's what's going to happen with us. He's pressing us right now in this wilderness experience to turn to him now for provision. Do not turn to the political realm like so many people are saying and saying, bless God, in two more years, we're going to take this country back. That's crazy talk. I know I hate to dash anyone's dreams and hopes. It's over. It's done. These clowns in politics... Who you think are on your side are not. It's a one party system. So you have to get over that. You have to push past that and realize the reality that you're in. You're in a very difficult reality and it's not going to get easier. But God is testing us, but he will provide. Continue on. It says this. When we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, isn't that wonderful? They said, when we were back in Egypt, things were great. We had food, we had pots of meat, we had bread. I mean, it was awesome. Tell me this, what are the Israelis forgetting? The slavery. How about the whip on your back? Or how about this? The Holocaust that happened when they threw all the male Hebrew babies and drowned them into the Nile. How come they didn't mention that? Ah, let me tell you something. When people assume an entitlement mentality, a, I deserve better, they actually forget the bad things that happened in the past, and they nostalgize the past and think it was better than the present. Because of their lack of faith, the present crisis of, I need food, is weighing on them so much, it makes them fearful. They're not trusting in God. And what happens is it distorts reality for them. It will distort reality for them with God. It's distorting reality for their leaders, and it's distorting reality about their past. Now, this is the funny thing. I see this a lot in counseling. When When someone's being pressed really hard, they will actually go blank on their past. Because I will ask them, tell me what's going on in your past. What happened? I can't remember. What do you mean you can't remember? I, they'll say, Brandon, there was, there's a block of time between age 5 and maybe age 11. I cannot remember anything. Or I've even had people tell me about their past, and awful things happened to them. Awful things. I mean bad stuff. Molestation, rape, physical beatings of physical abuse. You name it. I've heard it. The distortion of reality that happens to them, that the perpetrator who did that will not be looked at as an enemy, but with nostalgia. I know that sounds weird, but I've actually had people tell me that they, they totally discount what like a family member did to them. They don't see what that family member did. Maybe that family member raped them or molested them they will still act as if nothing happened. Now, I tell you that because what I'm seeing in the text is what I see in counseling. The person totally takes away any negativity from the perpetrator and only looks at what they wish would have happened. That's what Israel's doing. It's a psychological distortion of reality. Dude, it is real. It is totally real. So this is the level that Israel's getting because they won't believe the truth of what God is trying to say. And so, again, God is trying to train them to think differently at this point. And so when I see this, here's the problem. Our culture is actually teaching this technique to kids, Because you know what happens in our culture? Let me tell you. I'll tell you what's going on in the educational department, K through college. And don't be surprised by the results we get from our educational process. Because of, of the leftists taking control of education, they now teach kids only the positives about themselves. Now you say, well, is that problematic? Oh, yes, it's problematic. Because you must also teach a kid not only the good traits they have, but the traits that are bad that need to be fixed to be a a, a fully developed human being in society. So think about this. What if you teach a kid that they're the greatest thing since sliced bread, they could do no wrong, they're God's gift to the parents, and you never tell the kid, hey, you have an addictive personality, You're a control freak. You tend to be very mean to people. You're out of control many times with your anger. What happens when you don't tell the kid that and correct it, and you only say, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread? You get the kind of people in our society now who are triggered by praying amen. You get emotional fragility, because when you confront the person with truth about themselves, I need Play-Doh, I need a puppy, safe zones, safe zones, I'm woke. We're creating a society of spiritual wimps. The Bible says you must, yes, there's good points about people, but there's bad, and the bad has to be corrected, just like you and I. We have a new nature. It wants to obey. It does obey. But then what else would we have? A sin nature. And that sin nature wants to pull us right back. And so we even struggle. We have to acknowledge that, yes, there's a part of me that wants to go evil, and there's a part of me that wants to go good between the two natures. That's a dynamic that you have to have in your head. If you don't, you'll get unbalanced. So we have a bunch of kids that are being taught this nonsense, and you know what it creates? Here's the term. Ready for it? Wounded narcissists. What do you mean, wounded narcissists? Let me explain that. Obviously, if you don't tell somebody the bad points that need to be corrected, and you only tell them uh, you're a wonder kind, we give you a trophy for just participating, and uh, we don't want to hurt your feelings, even though you've got all Fs, we still want no kids left behind. What kind of crazy stuff is that? So you give them trophies for just participating. That's narcissism. It creates narcissism, self-love. They're, st- they're in love with the- themselves. But then they're wounded. What do you mean by wounded? Well, they've been told they're so special for just existing and never accomplishing anything. But their parents ignore them. And their parents put them in daycare from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So what does the kid come out? I don't know, but they told me I'm a wonder kind, but my parents don't want to have anything to do with me. Wound. So they're wounded, but they're a narcissist at the same time. That's why you and I telling the truth to somebody, you get such hostility from them. They can't emotionally take someone challenging them. Folks, this is what's happening in the text. But my goodness, it's happening in our culture. Creating a bunch of victims. That's what they're doing. Huh. Let's continue on. The next one. You have brought us out into the wilderness, this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. And obviously, for you, it says they're aiming it at Moses and Aaron, by the way. Always attack the leader. That's the easiest thing to do, right? Blame. But it's really directed to God who brought them out there? It wasn't Moses. It was Yahweh. Because for goodness sake, the Shekinah glory is leading them. So here's this veiled spirituality. They won't come out and just say it because they want to remain spiritual and theologically correct. But you and I know who they're blaming. It's not Moses. They're blaming God. Folks, when you get to that point of entitlement, I deserve, I'm owed, you are, in effect, blaming God for your life. You're blaming the wilderness experience. And what does God say to us? Um, No, um, you made these decisions. You have free will. You made these decisions. You put yourself in this wilderness. Or you let this happen with this person, this knucklehead, and I warned you about this knucklehead, and you let this happen to your family because of this knucklehead. That's why you're in the mess you're in. But see, we don't want to take responsibility because then it would be our fault. And then we would be obligated to solve the problem. We want to sit back and say, you caused it. Now you fix it. Uh, uh-uh, uh, doesn't work that way. Not that, not at all. And so they're blaming God in all of this. And then in verse four it says this. then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Wow. That should shock every one of us because if you and I are in that situation, I know on a fleshly level, I would say, hey man, I'm done with you. But God in his grace and mercy says, he hears the complaints and he says, I'm still going to do good to you and I'm going to provide for you. Now I want you to think about this. Again, it's a picture of Messiah. You and I deserve what? Lake of fire for all eternity but God still does good towards us and provides a provision through his son, right? So despite us being sinners, as the scriptures say, why we were still sinners, Christ the Messiah died for us. And so you're seeing the same pattern with the manna. He's going to provide despite their bad attitude because he's good and his grace and mercy Is abounding. And so he's going to provide this bread from heaven. Now, here's the deal. I'm not going to get into the specifics of the bread of heaven because I want to explain it in the next sermon because it is power packed with typology about Jesus. And I want to spend an adequate amount of time explaining that because it's rich, rich in in Christology. But here's what I want you to see. Look what it says here. And the people there's a command about this. the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day now that 's one stipulation there's many stipulations we'll look at them next time. but look at this one stipulation. you have to go out go back to that. you have to go out and gather a certain quota. Now we know what the quota is it'll say it later in the text it's two uh, sorry a uh, half gallon a half gallon of manna may be collected every day. What you will see next time is that you have no ability to store it because after a day, it goes sour, it gets, it gets worms in it, and it starts stinking. So it's only good for that day. And so it forces an agrarian mentality to go against what's natural to an agrarian society. Now, what do I mean by that? In agriculture, and which was Israel's industry, as a farmer... How do you? what do you do with the crops? You have to plant them, you have to water them, you have to let them grow, and then at harvest time, you harvest them, and then you do what with it? You store it. So that's a typical agrarian. So the natural inclination for Israel is to go out there to see the, the bread from heaven and to gather as much as they can and start storing it up in the closet, like I did with toilet paper. I I couldn't believe I can't get toilet paper, so what did I do? I went nuts, and I started storing up toilet paper. If it ever comes again, I have plenty of toilet paper to last me for a long time. But that's natural inclination, right, that that I'm going to store up stuff I can't get. This, on the other hand, forces them not to store anything. They only can get what their daily portion is per day. Why? Why? Because God said he wants dependency upon him. If they could store it, then they could go days without being dependent on God. But see, with it being unable to store, they have to come to God every day of their life for the next 40 years. He is forcing them to learn dependency, not independence from him. Now, look what he says in the next phrase. It says this, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, the idea is this. He's going to give a lot of law as far as the manna is concerned. I'm going to test them if they're going to... This is another test of whether or not they will do what I tell them to do in the provision that I provide, how they will handle that provision. Now, just a preview. One of the things about the provision of manna, it comes in the morning... And it reveals itself after the dew. And I'll explain that next time. But the question is, where does it come and fall on? It falls on the ground. Okay? I want you to think about something. Every day, the Israelis got up. They had to get up early to get the manna before the sun burnt, uh, burnt the rest of it. The, the heat apparently would melt it. So they had to get up early and get the manna every day. But being on the ground, guess what it forced them to do? And they have to pick the manna off the ground on their knees. Every one of them, all two million of them, are forced every morning on their knees. Why? If you're going to take my provision, Israel, I want you to be humble. I not only want you to be dependent on me, I want you to be humble. This entitlement mentality, Israel, that you have is not humility. It is pride. I don't owe you anything, Israel. And by the way, God doesn't owe us anything. It is out of the abundance of his grace and mercy that that he gives us anything. But he does. So notice, notice the parameters about the manna. It forces them into a situation that nullifies their entitlement. That's what God's doing right now to us. He's telling us, come to me every day. Be dependent on me, and you come with a humble attitude, and I will give you the provision of whatever you need. I will only give you in the right amount. I won't give you more. I won't give you less. I will give you to the right amount that that forces you to keep coming back to me. Most people, they they want things from God, and they say, he's not giving enough to us. I want, we need a little bit more. If I just had an extra $1,000, my life would be easy. But he's saying, no, that's enough. Because if I gave you any more, you would not be dependent upon me. Now, the idea is this. What God is teaching Israel and what he's teaching us is not to be victims, but to be survivors. That we survive the wilderness. That we use the tools and provision he has, and we survive it. And then once we survive this, we go to the next wilderness, and we survive that. And we come out, at the end of the day, survivors not spiritual wimps whining about our lives, poor me, wah, 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 I have a bad life, I can't stand my life, I can't even get out of bed in the morning. If you're sitting there every day saying, I can't do another day, then you're not getting the provision of strength from the Lord and power from the Lord in order to face your day. And in order to face your day, you go to the Lord for spiritual strength, and once you get that strength, guess what? Your attitude changes from a victim to a survivor, and you say, Hey, whatever hell this word will throw at me, I can take it on with Jesus. Look at this guy right here. This is Jim Abbott. Played in the major leagues, I think 11, 11 13, 12, 12 years, somewhere in that neighborhood. Look at his right hand. Look at the glove. It's not normal, is it? I'll show you another picture. Look at his glove. In his right hand. It's not being warm. Why? Look at the next picture. You can see his right hand in this picture. Jim Abbott had one hand, and it was his left. Jim Abbott figured out when he was a little boy how to play baseball with one arm, he could throw. And he could catch with the same arm and, and switch the glove like in a millisecond in order to catch it. And then tr- he would put the glove under his arm. He would take the ball out. I mean, it, it, it was blinding fast. And he could take the ball out and make plays. Gold glove. I think he threw a no-hitter one time with the Yankees. He's one of my baseball heroes because of the fact that this guy's a survivor. He's an illustration of someone Think about this when he was a little boy. He didn't sit there and say, Woe is me, I have one arm, I can't do anything. This guy somehow said, I'm going to overcome this and I'm going to figure out how to play baseball and one day I'm going to make it to the major leagues. And he did. Because you know what? When you see a guy like this, he's a survivor, he fought through his wilderness. And that's what God wants of Israel, and that's what God wants of you. A survivor, not a victim.
0: Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church prophecy update where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.